Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit TV show Shark Tank. I'm also the inventor of the infomercial and an ass scene on TV. Dove is a special uh, entrepreneur. Uh, he does amazing podcasts, but he's also a speaker and a consultant. Hi, I'm Sal Sylvester. I'm the author of Unite, the four mindset shifts for senior leaders and founder of Coach Metrics. He's a thought leader in the field, fantastic author. He's got an amazing radio show. Hello there. My name is Brett Trapp. I'm a creative consultant living in Atlanta, Georgia, also the creator of Blue Babies Pink. Uh, this guy has written books, has a successful podcast, uh, and is absolutely changing the game when it comes to leadership and leadership development. Hey guys, Cameron Brown here, founder of The Thriving Collective. I travel the world helping people make a greater impact. Dolph is a, just an outstanding character, uh, high quality guy, authentic guy, uh, master on leadership. My name is Chris Stoikos, founder of thebeardclub.com. And I'd just like to say that Dove has a very, very unique approach to working with businesses. Hey, this is Derry Apjohn, one of those, AKA the strategy man. And if I'm gonna describe Dove in three words, it's going to be courageous, deep, and conscious. And that's exactly what you need from leadership right now. Hey guys, this is Devon Harris, original member of the Jamaican Bobsled team, three-time Olympian, author, speaker, philanthropist, he is one of the most amazing guys you'll ever meet, an amazing interviewer, but at the same time, an amazing speaker. Hi, I'm Nate Regeer, CEO and co-founding partner of Next Element Consulting, a global leadership training company specializing in conflict communication. You know, the more I get to know Dov Barron, the more I admire his authenticity, his genuine commitment to something that I share deep in my heart, which is this notion of authentic communication. I'm Jared Nichols. I'm a futurist, executive advisor, host of the NSBA podcast, The Road Ahead, and also president of the Jared Nichols Group. Dov is uh, an outstanding thought leader when it comes to leadership and the traits and the qualities of leadership that are going to be necessary to succeed in the 21st century. Hey everybody, Coach Brew here, best-selling author of Stadium Status, taking your business to the big time. If I had to describe Dov in three words, it would be expertise, genuine, and heart-centered leader. I'm John Burgoff, the president of Flourishing Leadership Institute, where we enable communities and organizations. He has a finger on the pulse of what the future is asking for from leaders. Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger of the Art of Charm podcast. Dov Barron is a great host with insightful perspective. He understands what makes people tick, and he can get to the heart of the matter in an entertaining and educational and informational way. Hi, I'm Joshua Miller, and I am the author of the new book, I Call Bullshit, Live Your Life, Not Somebody Else's. Dov Barron, to me, when you talk about authentic leadership and cutting through the bullshit, there's nobody I would trust to go to than Dov Barron. Hello there, I'm Mike Glauser. I've been studying entrepreneurial leadership for more than 20 years. He really knows how to teach authentic leadership and that's one of the most important things today in leading organizations. Hi there, my name is Rick Barker. I am the founder of the Music Industry Blueprint. I help people navigate the music business. He had made me aware of some things that were quite visible, but were still hidden. I'm Tom Bilyeu, co-founder of Quest Nutrition and Impact Theory. Dov is absolutely amazing. I really enjoyed my time. A, he knows the guests before they come on, which is absolutely critical. But B, this guy, most importantly, has intensity, well thought out ideas, often counterintuitive, which is what 
makes him great. Hi, I'm Tim Sanders, author of the book Love is the Killer App, How to Win Business and Influence Friends. His perspective is laser sharp about the things that matter. Have you ever had a sense that there were two distinct sides to you? You know, one side that feels spiritually connected to all things and the other side that's well, feels compelled to jump on the hamster wheel and simply do their job. Have you ever wondered who the man behind the curtain is? Or men behind the curtain? The puppeteers pulling on the strings of power and influence. Let me share you this. When New York Times bestselling author John Perkins was a young Peace Corp volunteer, his life was saved by an Amazonian shaman. He went on from there a long time and became an economic hitman. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Convincing developing countries how to build huge infrastructure projects that would actually put them in permanently in debt to the World Bank and US-controlled institutions. Although he sincerely believed, at the time, that this was the best economic model for development, he, became, he came to realize that it was really a new form of colonialism. Returning the Amazon, he saw... The destructive, in returning to the Amazon, he saw the destructive impact of his economic hitman work, and he also felt inspired by his previous contact with the tribe to who had <laughs> touched its jaguar by uniting with its enemies to defend its territories against invading oil and mining companies. My name is Dov Barron, I am the Dragonist, and I am the host here at Curiosity Bites. You can find out more about hiring me as a speaker or strategist for yourself or for your organization by simply going to dovbaron.com. That's D-O-V-B-A-R-O-N.com. This episode of Curiosity Bites is brought to you in part by MagCast. Imagine having your own industry magazine. What would that do for your authority? Whether you're a coach, a content expert, or an emerging brand, it's hard to stand out from the crowd. So what if there was a proven way to increase both your perceived authority and professional status in the eyes of your market, and to do it all at once? This is your way to going from being invisible to getting a meeting with absolutely anyone. Find out more by going to magcast.co, that's M-A-G-C-A-S-T dot co, C-O, where first-time publishers create thriving magazine business. All right, so here's what I am curious about, and it's something I've been curious about pretty much since my early 20s, which is a couple of weeks ago. Uh, global manipulation, the manipulation of markets, politics, power, and economics. It's a fascinating area to look at, and we're about to take a look behind the curtain because we've got a big show ahead of us. So let me tell you a little bit about the person we're, that you are going to get to eavesdrop in on my conversation with. John Perkins, I have been so looking forward to this interview. He is an author and activist who wrote 10 books on global intrigue, shamanism, and transformation, including the classic Confessions of a Hitman that you may or may not have heard of. Shapeshifting, and then his latest book was, was another book, and his latest book, which is Touching the Jaguar. He's been on the New York Times bestseller list for more than 70 weeks, sold wait for this, over 2 million copies. I think the Bible is the only one that might have sold a bit more and published in 35 languages. He, as a chief economist at a major consulting firm, he assisted the World Bank, the UN, 
Fortune 500 companies in US, US and other governments. He regularly speaks at universities, economic forums, and shamanistic gatherings around the world, and is, the, and is a founder board member of the nonprofit organization, an organization, the Pachamama, hopefully I said that right, um, Alliance and Dream Change. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for recovering economic hitman and how to show the world how to touch the regular Mr. John Perkins. Good morning, downward dog. <laughs> John, good to have good you. Morning, good morning, dog, dog, dog. Uh, yes, dog. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Thank you for being here. Really, really, really appreciate it. So where we like to always start the show, John, is at this time in your life, in this moment in history, what do you find yourself most curious about? Well, you know, what? we obviously we're living at a time of catastrophes. Uh, the pandemic is, of course, the most recent one. And then all the, the riots and the, the demonstrations and the confusion and the turmoil about, you know, the fact that we people suffering from, from white privilege and mm -hmm. police brutality, racial discrimination, gender discrimination. And, of course, on top of all of that, which we've had for quite a while now, we've got climate change, species extinctions at phenomenally high rates, income inequality around the world. There's all these catastrophes. We we are we are definitely at a time of catastrophe. The the world as we know it is collapsing, mm -hmm. and you know the touching the jaguar. The the main theme is this idea that that to to change reality we we change perceptions. Yes, Our perceptions are controlled by reality, and so you know if I could just take a moment to read one sentence where that. Touching the Jaguar comes from a, a shaman healed me many years ago, 1969, when I was a Peace Corps volunteer in the Amazon. And, and he told me to touch the Jaguar. And he says that I'm going to, I, re, I, I wrote this down at the time, and it's in the book. Touching the Jaguar means that you can identify your fears and barriers, confront them, alter your perceptions about them, accept their energy, and take actions to change yourself and the world. So we obviously need to change the world. And mm -hmm. a lot of us want to change ourselves in one way or another, too. We want to be better at whatever it is we do. We want to get rid of uh, addictions or things that we don't like about ourselves. And so that, that's what the, the book is about. And my big concern today is that we're in an amazingly transitory world, that everything's in transition. And let's make sure that we move it to a, a better place than it's been in for the last few uh, decades. Well, the metaphor of the Jaguar is the fear, right? Touching the fear. And it seems, it seems like, and you know, you and I talked about this previously in a previous conversation that the world is being fed fear. Excuse me. I don't know that it was ever not being fed fear, but now it's easier to feed the world large doses of fear every possible turn. And so as a result, um, I don't think that, um, I, I think there's a perception, and I'd love to hear your point in this, but I think there's a perception that we live in a world of Jaguars where there's everything's to be afraid of, and we're not really likely to confront our own because we're so worried about the fear of 
you know, the, the closing environment or, or whatever it might be, right? The behavior of a president or the behavior of the UN or whatever it might be. Do you, do you think that's true? Do you see that we are being spoon fed more, even more fear than there was back when you and I first started investigating this stuff? I, yes, I, I, well, I don't know that there's more fear now, but, but more things to fear. There may be more fear because part of it's because this, the, the, the media is so available yep. and to everyone. And mm -hmm. here in the United States, uh, we obviously have this president that, that, that loves to, to sell fear, mm -hmm. tweeting every day. Um, and uh, we, that's never been a situation before. I mean, we've, all, we've had presidents that wanted to sell fear before, but most all of them do in one way or another. Sure. That's part of politics, but they don't have the, the, the opportunity to do it on a daily basis. Uh, and, and it's, of course, not just the president. There's so much going on out there. But I, I also think that people, for the, I think people are beginning to understand that the, the biggest fear that's being sold to us is the fear of change. Yes. No, we've got to change. I think any, any rational person on this planet knows that we cannot continue to consume our resources in the short term without taking care of the long term without bad consequences. We cannot continue to pollute our planet, we, you know, and, and this coronavirus is, is showing us that what happens when we don't pollute so much that you can see stars over Beijing, you know. It's, mm. uh, and so we know we've got to change, but people fear change. You know, you and I, I suspect, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've touched many Jaguars to be on this program. If you've had, to, you, we, we all have many Jaguars we touch every day and we do it, we do it, you know, cool. in small ways every day, basically. Yeah. You know, from, from the time we wake up in the morning, we're, we're, we're facing something that may be a little bit of an obstacle. Do I, you know, do I have time to have a second cup of coffee? There's a fear there, oh, am I, you know, I don't have enough time, you know, uh, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, but, but now there's this, there's this realization that, that, that we have to transition from what some economists, including me, are calling a death economy, mm -hmm. an economic system that's based on short-term profits, maximization mm -hmm. of short-term profits and short-term consumption of material goods, and is destroying us, to a life economy that's based on long-term cleaning up pollution, regenerating destroyed environments, having businesses that, that regenerate the environment and, and rejuvenate things rather than destroy them. But the fear is, <clears throat> for me, for you probably, for many of your listeners who, who are probably fairly, live fairly comfortable lives or don't mm -hmm. want food and home, we fear we might lose them. The fear, what does this mean? Do we have, mm -hmm. have to go back and live in caves? Mm -hmm. uh, and for most of the world's population, half the world at least, they don't have a they, they they don't have a time to think about these things. They just think about putting food on the table for the next meal, and then there's these people at the top of the, of the economic political pyramid, if you want to call it that, um, the Trumps and the Bolsonaros and people like that of the world, who think they've got it made. They've got the power. They think they get the money. They fear losing that, so they want to do everything to stop it. But beneath all of that, we all know that we must change. We need to touch this jaguar. And incidentally, I touch this jaguar <laughs> all the time. Yeah. <laughs> How do you like that? And it reflects, you know, it's... What Johnny is explaining, for those of you who are only listening to the audio, is he showed me the jaguar. And 
he, he wasn't touching himself, but the Jaguar is on him. <laughs> <laughs> Jaguar's on me. It's the same. It's basically the same Jaguar. Same one is on the book cover. cover yeah. the book. All right, so I like to wear it. I've got several of these. My 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 partner, the woman I my my, my essentially my 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 wife, my mate, uh, gave gave to me. But so yeah, we're at this time where we know we must change on a big on a on a major scale. But and as we, I was saying, John, I mean, I think that you know through media that we have today, which is a twenty four hour news cycle plus the social media um, news feeds. Um, I think that it's easier to sell fear to us. And yes, we have um, the older part of our brain, the amygdala and, and, and such that is focused on fear and, and fear looks like change because to the ego mind, same is safe. If something's the same, it's safe, but that is a death spiral in any situation, whether you're a leader in the world, or as in a, a conscious leader, or whether you are a organization, if you're just going after the short-term gain versus the versus the long-term, there's going to be a downward spiral. But we, as you said, we don't want to lose what we have, and nobody wants to say, "Well, I'll take a ten percent cut in my lifestyle." It's one thing to take a ten percent cut in your pay, but a ten percent cut in your lifestyle. Most people are like, "No, that's not going to happen. I'm not giving up." I'm not giving up my one meal, one meal a week out at whatever the restaurant might be. And they just won't do that. That's part of the human being psyche. And one of the things that I know from my work and the work that I've done with my clients, with corporations, and certainly with myself, is to, to teach people how to confront that fear. But it's interesting to me that As much as we want to change, we don't want to change. We can see the evidence that we need to change. I mean, the example I was talking about with a friend yesterday is Greta, right? Who came out, you know, she was, I think, 15 when she spoke at the UN. She's created all this awareness, which is great. But it's noise. And that concerns me because it becomes more noise. It's another piece of the media thing that gets fed in and everybody gets in the hoopla, but nobody does anything. Meanwhile, there's a kid who cleaned up the uh, kid who was like 16 or 17 years old and he created a very simple machine for cleaning up the ocean. He gets far less attention for action than the noise. And it seems like we live in a world where noise is prevalent, prevalent and on top of that, the noisier you are, the more you're going to get. So Greta was very noisy. She raised awareness. That's great, but it's not action. So I, what I'm interested in is, yeah, let's confront, let's, let's touch the Jaguar, let's, let's get aware of our fear, but it's the action. How do we move people to the action and beyond their own amygdala? That's a, that's a great question. And, uh, and, it starts off with perception um, and what you might call noise. Mm -hmm. so, so Greta, I, I don't know, she probably came along a little too late, but I'm not sure whether she, I, I suspect she had some sort of an influence on that 16-year-old boy who then went out and invented a system for cleaning up the pollution. Well, he was way before her, actually, but that's okay. okay. Well, we don't know how many actions she has generated. No, that's true. So, 
I can take my own life. You know, yeah. I've, I've lived a life, of a, lot, a life of a lot of action. I was chief economist at a major consulting firm. I had between 30 and 50 people working for me at different times. Um, and then I, I was a, a, an owner and president of an alternative energy company that was very, very successful. Uh, I've been d deeply involved with the people of the Amazon forming the Pachamama Alliance and Dream Change, two nonprofits that are very, very active in, in over 87 countries today in the world. That's action. But I actually think that the most important stuff I do, and, and in a way I've done with those companies, I, I you know, like Pachamama Alliance is, is managed by Bill Twist, who's the executive. He does, he, he does, he does all the hard work. I just, I met with the indigenous people. I had the dream, I came up with it. I wrote, I wrote the, the Touching the Jaguar talks about the organization a lot. I think we have to recognize, and it, for me, despite the different actions I've taken throughout my life, I think the most important thing I can do is to change perceptions that then drive actions. So I write books and I speak mm -hmm. on programs like yours and I, I actually speak in forums around the world. I recently spoke to 12, over 12,000 corporate executives and world leaders in, in St. Petersburg, Russia. President Putin was there, Guterres, Secretary General of the United Nations, a lot of amazing people. So my job, I think my biggest job is to create a perception that we have that we can move into a much better system that we can create a life economy to inspire people and, and in the book i tell stories of, about how we can do that but also at the end there's a there's a little um, a, a, a process people can take themselves through for less than 10 minutes a day or they can do it once a week if they want instead of once a day but that that helps each individual whether you're a carpenter or a plumber or a teacher or a podcast host or whatever you are uh, to to look at how you can how you can how you can take the actions that'll make your life better and also at the same time help create a better world so i think we, we have to look at that noise as, as it can be perception. And of course it can go the other way. Like mm -hmm. Trump is trying to create the perception that, that we've got to reelect him, that we can't, you know, that, that, that everything he's done is perfect. And, 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 to, be, and to be fearful of mm -hmm. uh, Biden or probably it'll be Biden or what, 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 be, be fearful of the Democrats, be fearful yep. of the Democrats. So we've got the noise coming from both directions. And part of the history of human beings has been that there is no reality, except as we perceive it. You know, you, you, you live in Canada. There's no mm -hmm. Canada. No. There's no United States. This is not. There's, there's, there's no Yeah, there's no religion. There's no culture. Yeah, no it's religion. It's a John Lennon no song gone wrong. <laughs> well, you know, so all of these things, religion, culture, corporations, economy, countries, they're perceptions. Yes. And when enough people accept a perception or codify it into law, it has a huge impact on reality. So that's what creates a Canada or the United States or religions or cultures. And so the, 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 the process is this perception. And then there's a value system that comes out of perception. And then there's actions. That, yeah. that drive us into the reality. All on the, that whole spectrum is important. And so you've got the people you mentioned, Greta, who I think was actually 14 when she first made the statement. Mm -hmm. She's in the perception field. The 16-year-old yes. young man whose name I don't remember and you don't either, which is unfortunate. I don't, I don't remember <laughs> Greta though. Yeah, uh, and a brain fog. Exactly, like I said, yeah. louder voice. Yeah, 
but 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 also think about it. We remember Tom Paine in the United States, who who wrote you know an amazing document that without him there probably would have been no American Revolution. Right. You don't remember the names of most of the people that carried guns. He never carried a gun. He never took the actions. But we remember him. Right. And then we remember people like Ed, like Jefferson and and Washington who who kind of did both. Right. <laughs> you know. So so there's this whole spectrum along the line. And, yeah, and, and, and I, and I fully agree with you because I'm also in the perception business and I understand that about changing people's reality, that's my job. Um, and, you know, like you, I've got shamanistic experiences and all those kinds of things, and I've certainly collapsed my own perceptions. That is the, drag, uh, that is the, the Jaguar that I'm touching all the time is, is what is my perception of something. Uh, and it's one of the reasons that I wanted to do this show, which is, which is based on breaching the bias. What is the personal bias we have and how to collapse that in any situation? Because let's just go to you for a minute. We've got this guy who is talking about touching the Jaguar and shamanistic uh, ideas of a, of, a, of a live economy, etc. And we might, I'm not saying we do, we might have a, uh, a viewer, listener going, oh, yeah, another one of those shaman loons, right? Um, because that's the perception. And one of the things I really love about your work, John, and as I, as I said to you in our previous conversation, I've followed your work for a lot of years, um, is that you are – I'm a great believer that people are not one-dimensional. I don't believe that for a second. Um, I believe that we're multifaceted diamonds and there's a, you know, there's, so you've got this shaman side and you live on an Island off Seattle and you know, it all seems a bit hippy dippy. And then we come to, hold on a sec. This guy is an economist. This guy was one of the most powerful eco economic advisors in the world to nation states and to massive um, organizations. The thing I love about you is you have, found a way just by your being to bring both of those worlds together so that those who are rigid bottom line economic thinkers can also say, well, Oh, well, this guy thinks about this spiritual connectedness of the planet, the, the resonance of our, uh, of the, this spinning ball that we live on. What's that like for you when you go, because I mean, you you do you get to speak as you said this massive event in in uh, in Russia. What's it like for you to to walk that high? Do you feel like you're walking a high wire between those two worlds? Well, that's a very very interesting question, and it really is the question that drove me to write "Touching the Jaguar." Mm -hmm. because, um, so, as you know from previous discussions, Dove, I. Uh, I was in the Peace Corps in 1968 to 1971 in Ecuador, and a lot of that time deep, deep, deep in the Amazon with mm -hmm. hunters and gatherers, the Schwa people. And uh, at one point I was dying, and a shaman saved my life. And I, in 1969, I graduated from business school. I, didn't, I had no idea what a shaman was. I, I, <laughs> I, I had no interest in that. But sure. I, I couldn't stand up. I was dying. I was very, very sick. I, I, I couldn't stand up without help. And the nearest medical facility was three days away, a lot of it hiking through horrendously dense jungle. Yeah. <laughs> no way I could do Not that. ideal travel. <laughs> yeah, so this shaman comes along, I have no idea what he is or what shaman is, but 
and he takes me on this shamanic journey and, and, I, and it changes my perception about things. And I can go into more detail about that if you, if you like. But the point being that after that, I, I went back to do, doing what I'd been trained to do in business school. I became an economist with a major consulting firm. Um, and, and, I, and I became an economic hitman for, for 10 years. And what I'd learned from the shaman was it, it was perception drove my reality. It was a perception that was really driving my sickness. And once I changed that perception, I got healthy. Yes. And as I trained with the shaman, he, so he, he insisted that as payment for him saving my life, I trained with him, which I had no interest in doing. There was no future in shamanism. And those, I had no interest in shamanism, but he saved my life. And later, as I traveled around the world as an economic hitman, I, I, I studied, whenever I had a chance, I studied with shamans in Indonesia and Iran and Egypt, because what, what I was fascinated by was that they're all driven by this the one concept, that we mold our, that we create our own reality by changing our perceptions. I, at the same time, I saw that that's the basis for modern psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. it, it's quantum physics. It's, mm -hmm. it's advertising. It's marketing. It's, it's everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you come right down to it, I, I began to understand that these, these, these primitive shamans, uh, they, just were, they, just, they just were understanding something that we all understood but didn't necessarily express. And, you know, so then, you know, eventually, I, uh, there's a long story here of why I, 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 I ended up writing five books on, on indigenous people, the world mm -hmm. as you dream, it's shape-shifting, uh, psychonavigation. While I was serving as a consultant to a major, uh, another major corporation after I retired from my own old position. And um, then after 9-11, I knew I, I had to come clean on what I'd done as an economic hitman. And I, so I wrote Confessions and an Economic Hitman. Mm -hmm. And since then, three other books on global economics. So five on shamanism, four on global economics. And and yes, I'm invited to speak in Russia, China, all, many, many, all throughout the United States. I've spoken at, at, at Harvard and, mm -hmm. and, and, and on Oxford and, uh, you know, all over uh, on yep. economic issues, on economic issues. Yes. Even at the World Bank, I speak on economic <laughs> issues. At the same time, I'm speaking on shamanic issues. And people would often ask me at these economic conferences, well, you're not that woo-woo guy who wrote those books on shape-shifting, are you? <laughs> and when I spoke at shamanic uh, forums, people would say, well, you're not that, you're not that, that you're not that, Jerk, <laughs> they right, used to yeah, exactly. who, yeah. wrote the, who wrote those books? You know that capitalist guy who wrote those books on, on economics, and uh, to me there, were, there, there was always that they were co totally connected, because mm. what I understood is that it, through shamanism you get the it, it, the same idea that you get through business of molding reality through perceptions. And that if we want to change, which my writing on economics to a large degree is about moving from a death economy to a life economy, how do we do that? And the starting point is we change our perception so that the perception no longer is that the goal of business is to maximize short-term profits regardless of social and environmental costs, which is the goal that we that every business follows right now. That's mm -hmm. beginning to change. So I, I say that with a little hesitation, but that's been our history. Maximize short-term profits regardless of the social and environmental cost. And for individuals, maximize materialistic consumption. Uh, yeah. And that all we have to do is change our perception to the new perception is to maximize long-term benefits 
for mm -hmm. all people and nature. And yeah. once you bring that perception in, you change that perception and you change the reality of who we see as successful business people, entrepreneurs, successful people. But that's, so, that's another subject right there, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> yes. the perception of success. You know, um, I think that that is a very important piece we mean to come back to. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk to you more about that, that Peace Corps experience where you meet the shaman and you're taken on a journey. I'd like to know more about that journey um, because one of the things I want to say before we go to break is that change doesn't always happen in the moment you think it will. And, and I know that from personal experience, often it's much later. It's like the, the seed is planted, but the, you don't, you don't, it's kind of like bamboo. You don't know anything. Nothing's happening for a long time. And then boom, something happens. So we're going to come right back. I hope you'll join us for part two and we'll come back in a moment. 